0: Well, good morning and welcome, everybody, and uh, let me add my greetings to everyone in this new year, and I trust you had uh, a good holiday season. I know that things are different for most of us, but uh, when you keep that message of Jesus Christ central to your holiday season, you know, you, you never miss out, and there's always different ways that God wants to kind of direct our hearts and minds. So we're back into our 1 Corinthians series and we're kind of rounding the bend and heading for home over uh, this next month. And so we're going to be looking at um, 1 Corinthians 15 today um, and we're going to be looking at the priority of the gospel, the priority of the gospel. And that's going to be 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11. Uh, If you're reading your own Bible, uh, we'll have the, the verses up on the screen for you to see. I want to start off, though, with a a, a true story, Um, actually from the Alpha Course, about a bag lady. Um, Nikki Gumbel talks about how he had, uh, and we can have the next slide, please. Nikki Gumbel talks about a woman who was in the community there where his church is in in England, and uh, she kind of just roamed the neighborhood homeless uh, for years. And she had, uh, you know, she would usually beg and ask people for money and for help and so forth. And and if they turned her down, she was belligerent with them and irritated and angry with them. But after many years, she passed away. And uh, Nikki Gumbel actually presided over her funeral um, uh, at that time. And so he was surprised, though, as he was doing the funeral, to notice not only a few homeless people that he recognized, but also some very well-dressed people who were in the congregation during that time. And uh, he found out later on that actually this bag lady had inherited quite a bit of money, and she was very wealthy. And she actually had a a luxurious suite that she could have lived in. And she had many expensive pieces of art that she could have sold and, and lived on. But she chose to kind of disregard that and spent all her years not in benefiting from that but actually just living there in poverty for that time you know as christians as bizarre as that sounds we may not be that far off from that because we have the greatest treasure we have the greatest amazing resource available to us through jesus christ and that's the gospel and the gospel will not only transform your eternity, you know, and give you an eternal place in heaven. But the gospel will also transform your life here in this, in this world. And yet many of us disregard the gospel. We, we, we're familiar with it or we know about it, perhaps, but we fail to believe it or we fail to apply it in our lives. And so the Apostle Paul, in giving this text, you know, really uh, set us to really reset our hearts and minds to the priority of the gospel. And as a church, this is something that we hope to always be doing is to reset our thoughts, reset our mind, reset our faith, to not be trusting in ourselves and not be trusting in our own strength and not be trusting in our own abilities, but to put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. So our first Sunday here in 2022 Uh, what better message that we could have is to reset our heart and our mind and, and consider this gospel together. So the big idea we have for today is this. The gospel is the most important truth that we need to know, believe, and apply. And so if you'll join me, I'll pray for our time. Lord, we could look at this bag lady and think, what a waste She could have had such a better life. She could have had such blessing if she had only received and taken part in the incredible inheritance that she was given. And yet, Lord, I I fear that that may be more true of us than we imagine. And that we really have not fully engaged with the truth of this message in such a way as to believe it or to apply it in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray for your grace to communicate clearly. I pray for faith to arise in hearts and minds as people perhaps think that that's their lot in life of whatever frustrations and difficulties and limitations and sin that we we find ourselves in. Lord, might you lift our eyes to see this wonderful gospel in a fresh way and a good reminder for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take this this text that we have in sections, so I'm not going to read the whole thing through first. I'm going to take it in sections, and I'm actually going to jump, first of all, to the essence of the gospel, which we see in verses 3 and 4. And it says this, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. We find here that that this message of the gospel is not just kind of an add-on for our lives, or it's not just a, like a one-up, one you know, one situation. You know, when before we became a Christian, we heard the gospel. That was really important. That was really necessary. So we believed it, and now it's for other people to hear about it. But actually, as we look at the Apostle Paul and how he actually built the churches and how he instructed and equipped people, we find that the gospel was very central to the motivations and to the power of how people's lives were changing. And if we didn't understand the gospel, if we didn't apply the gospel, if we didn't think about how the gospel was really uh, involved in, even in our sanctification and our growth in Jesus Christ, we were really missing out. And so the, the gospel is central to, to us. It's, it's central to us today as you go home. Uh, it's going to be central this week to you. It's going to be central this year to you. It's going to be central in your life here. And it's going to be central in eternity to us. And if we don't regularly pull our heart and mind back to the truth of the gospel, I think we will miss out, just like this bag lady missed out on all the resource that was available to her. It's not simply the beginning. It remains central to our life, to our ministry, and even the purpose and proclamation of this church. And so I'd like to talk about the substance of the gospel next. The substance of the gospel is what we have here. It talks about, you know, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. When we think about the substance, what is the gospel? You know, it's something that I've regularly, when I've done uh, membership interviews or talked with people, and I ask them, you know, do you know what the gospel is? I get a, a real range of answers when I ask people, you know, what is the gospel? And it's not that they're not true, but it's not really what we're talking about a lot of times when we say the term the gospel. Uh, I'm not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, even though the gospel is fully and you know, not only contained there, but the whole life and the purpose and the ministry of Jesus Christ is explained there. But when we talk about the gospel, putting your trust in the gospel, I want to talk about those elements as it's given here in our text. We have the birth of Christ, John chapter one. And verse 1 says this In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on The Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. And so we see here that Jesus is fully God. You know, He was the Word, He is the Logos. He was with God, and He was God. And so we see that He uh, became flesh. So He actually became a man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We, you know, Through our Christmas story, we've been talking about these things. Born of a virgin Mary. And so he is fully God, and yet he is also fully man. And that sets up the, the second point that we, that we need in terms of our understanding of the gospel, and that is that Jesus, his perfect and sinless life, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are and yet without sin. Jesus was subject to all the same temptations you and I are. You know, he was he knew what it was uh, all the things that we stumble in, all the things that we give into that are sinful. You know, he is, as a man, he has experienced those temptations. It says he was tempted in every way. And so he is a perfect representative for us because in all his temptations, he always obeyed God. He always uh, held, held back from giving into that temptation and that sin. Never once sinning in any way. Thirdly, the gospel tells us of the Jesus' death on a cross. At the heart of his life, at the heart of his purpose, of his whole reason for coming to this earth was to die on a cross. Uh, everything about his life and as, his, as he lived out his life, as he was preparing for the cross, it was to prepare him as a perfect substitute. John the Baptist said, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin's of the earth of the world and in his dying on the cross he provided the basis or the ground of our sal- of our foundation of our salvation because he became the one who could substitute himself for us 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I underline that word in him because this is going to be pretty central to understanding you know, what it means to be putting our trust in Jesus Christ, whether it's for salvation or for the power of change in our lives. Because when we see our identification with Jesus Christ in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, when we see that our lives are linked in him, That's how we experience the power of change in our lives. It says, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Again, Jesus' death was substitutionary on our behalf. It was as if before the time, you know, when we would be fully judged, Jesus took your place, took my place, offered to take our place, and the judgment and the wrath, the holy wrath of God that was to be poured out on us was poured out on him. The legal penalty for our sins, satisfying a holy wrath of a holy God. And so because he paid that penalty, if you have put your hope and trust in him as your substitute, as your God-man Savior, all your sins were dealt with already at the cross. Your past sins, your current sins, and your sins of the future, if, you know, before you. All those, the Bible says in Hebrews, were at one time taken. God saw them all from the beginning. All those sins were taken and they were placed on Jesus Christ. And he paid for those for you and me. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 says when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. All your sins were forgiven. And it says that you were declared righteous. You were declared righteous. And righteous righteousness is a legal term. Uh, it speaks of a right standing before God. The declaration is a once and for all permanent um, declaration about you and me. When you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you were declared before the holy judge of the universe as you are righteous. And that's how God can bless you. That's how God can answer your prayers. That's how God can receive you. That's how God's love never shifts towards you, how he never changes towards you, how you're secure in him, how you're secure in his family, how you became an heir with his son. It's because you have, the Bible says, an alien righteousness. You have a righteousness that you didn't make. You didn't, you didn't earn that kind of a righteousness. That righteousness was given to you, imputed to you because of Jesus Christ, death on your behalf. He took your sins, he, he, he gave you his righteousness. And that because of that permanent declaration, nothing's going to change that. Lastly, in the essence of the gospel, we want to look at Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The resurrection demonstrates that, that he accomplished what he set out to do. He set out to be your substitute. He set up to be your sin bearer. He set out to be the one who paid for your sin. And so because he was resurrected, that's how we know that God was satisfied. That's how we have the confidence that what Jesus said he he's came to do, that he accomplished it. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. He was raised to life so that you could know you were not guilty any longer, that you were declared righteous. You're not just innocent. You've actually been given the righteousness that Jesus earned. You're not the, the slate wasn't just wiped clean, but he actually had earned a righteousness because he always obeyed God, and he gave that to you. So when you come before the throne of grace and make request of your heavenly father, you're not just innocent, you are righteous because of an alien righteousness, because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to you. And this resurrection lets us know that God accepted that sacrifice. That resurrection gives you and I a confidence before God that we would not normally have. Next in our text, we want to look at the testimony for the gospel in verses 5 through 11. You see, as we said, this resurrection is very important to, to us because this is kind of a proof to us that God was satisfied. And so I think that's why the Apostle Paul took such time here to let the Corinthians know that this was sufficient proof of their salvation and of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the first few verses, says this, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me. I'll stop there. You know, when you go to a court of law and you want to prove something that happened in history, you can't usually do a scientific proof for most of those things. If you're trying to establish that something happened in the past, uh, you can't put that into a laboratory and prove it that way. You may use some information, but the actual proof of the event is usually proved by testimony, and especially witnesses, and especially reliable witnesses. And if you have witnesses, you know, if you have many, many, many witnesses, you can pretty well establish in a court of law that something happened in the past. And so if you had a person that questioned the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have here, you have, you know, he says, well, ask Peter, whose, whose name is Cephas. Or then he appeared to 500 people, and you bring those people in the stand, and they said, "Oh yeah, he was, he was alive. I saw him alive after you know, he had died on the cross. 500 people testified, independent of one another, that Jesus had raised from the dead. And it says some of them are asleep, some of them have already died, but most of them are still alive, he said, at the time of this writing. Then he appeared to James, this was Jesus' brother. Then again, to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to to the Apostle Paul. And so there are are skeptics, there are people who sought to destroy Christianity. You know, one of the ones that that was most important in my life was Josh McDowell. And he was a law student, and he was pretty well put off by the Christians on his campus and in his uh, university. And so he thought, if I could disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then all this Christianity stuff's got to go away. Because the whole, the whole Christian faith stands on the fact that they claim that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so he went on, and using his legal skills and legal understanding, to go up again and in, investigate the evidence and the testimonies to find out you know, how he could discredit Christianity. And, rea- and the reality is that after studying that, he became a defender of the Christian faith. He, be, he became a Christian, and he went on to, to speak on campuses all over the world and write many books, Evidence for the Resurrection and other things like that. Because this, this evidence was important for you and for me to know that what it is that we believe, that what it is that we say that we believe. It's important to us to know that this resurrection is true. And so that's why, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus had, had come out of the tomb, he's telling the women, he says, look, go to the disciples and go tell, you know, go tell them I'm going to meet him over there in Galilee. Galilee is where he had done most of his ministry. I'm going to tell you the place it's going to be, and I'm going to meet you there. So I believe that's where he said 500 people showed up for that because that's where his disciples had been, That's where he told the disciples to go meet him. 500 people saw the risen Christ. It says in the the account, you know, some some weren't sure, you know. There were some who didn't believe, you know, at that time. But I believe this was a a, a massive gathering, kind of like a, a major event where family members were just probably dragging people out to say, hey, Jesus, remember Jesus, the one who did all those miracles? He's raised from the dead. Come and see him. And so people were gathered, and they gave testimony. And it says at the time when this was written in Corinth to the Corinthians, he said, most of those people are still alive. You can go check them out yourself. You can go ask them also. So there was sufficient proof for this. And why, you know, why this is important to us, you know, we, and we celebrate this at Easter time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But think about, you know, when people were always trying to figure out, is this real? Are you real? Are you really from God? And they were always asking him for signs and wonders and so forth. And maybe you've done that yourself. You said, God, if you're really real, would you like, would you just answer this prayer? And you kind of give them throughout your little fleece and ask God to kind of answer that prayer, you know. But when people are always doing that to Jesus, he says, look, in Matthew chapter 12, he says, an evil and adulterous generation is always asking for signs. He said, there's going to be one sign I'm going to give you so you can know who I am. And that's a sign of Jonah. And just the way that, that Jonah prophet in the Old Testament, he was swallowed by that big fish, and he was three days and three nights in the belly of the big fish, and then he came alive. He came out again. He said, so the Son of Man is going to be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And he will, come, he will come alive again. This is this is essential that we understand the weight of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this will be essential to you when you think about not only your own salvation. Like many people get to the end of their life and they're, they start having faith fears and doubts, and is this really true? And they begin to kind of evaluate it for themselves at that time. But even when I tell you that there is a power in the resurrection for you as you deal with certain issues in your life, certain setbacks, certain sins, certain struggles that you have, there's a resurrection power that the Bible uses these Greek words like dynamite and dunamis and, you know, all these powerful words that say, this is the power of God that's available to you. That power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power is available to you in your life to change, to grow, to say no. And so it's important that you realize this is true and this is part of God's Power that's been made available to me in my life. So there's sufficient proof for this, this gospel, this testimony, and there's a weighty proof in this section we see also. I think I stopped in verse 9, but it says, he's, he's saying in verse 8, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is the Apostle Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that was in me, rather than it was whether it, then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. The Apostle Paul said, Look, I'm the biggest, you know, case study there is on this in this courtroom, you know, of whether or not the resurrection is real or not. I'm the most unlikely person the apostle Paul is saying to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm the one who was the most aggressively against Christianity. I went out after all those Christians, and I was such a a devout Jew, and I had nothing to do with Christianity that I fought Christianity. I delivered people over to death. I agreed with everyone who was persecuting the Christians. I got papers to go after those people. And yet God, Jesus Christ, appeared to me and he transformed me and made me more zealous than even his own apostles that he had with him for years. And I worked harder than any of them. I suffered more than any of them. I traveled more than any of them. I did more than any of them. But not I. But it was the grace of God in me. It's the power of that resurrection that took a weak man, a man who was opposed to the very message that he became the most, the greatest champion of, wrote more the New Testament than anybody else, That's the testimony, he said. I want you to to see that this message is so real. This is so weighty. You should not say, well, it won't work for me. God can't change me. I've been like this too long. There's not really that kind of power available. Maybe for you, but not for me. And he said, no. I I was the case study to show that God can do this in anyone. God can transform lives. And maybe you're like some of us who think, I used to think that. I used to think that God would transform my heart and transform my life and make me a different person. But I guess I just got to wait for heaven, you know, to see change. And yet, I think that's where. We're holding on to bags. We're, we're, not, we're not aware that there really is a power available to us through this message of the gospel. We're not standing in a truth. We've, we've not latched on to the resource of the gospel that would, would help us to say to die to that sin, to say no to that sin, and to say yes to God's power in us. So let's look at the impact of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, it says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. So you have to hear the gospel first to to have this helped, help you believed. I preached to you, which you received. So that has to do with you said yes to it and you put your hope in it in which you stand, which has an idea that I'm standing in this good, in this good news, I'm, I'm believing it, I'm applying it in my life, in which you stand and by which you are being saved. This isn't just talking about eternal salvation in heaven. This is talking about a, a salvation that goes throughout life where we're being transformed. A sanctification, the Bible says, that is progressive through our lives. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So the people who tell me that they believe, but they really their lives never changed, and they have nothing to do with God, those people should be a little bit concerned, and you should be concerned of those situations because they're not standing in anything, and there's no there's no reason to believe that they really do that they really do have received it because it has had no effect in their lives. You see, faith in the gospel, if you say you believe in the gospel, there are fruits that come from the faith in the gospel. You know, in the book of James, it says, you, you, you say you have faith, but you have no works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You know, my faith results in something that shows a transformation, shows a power. And there's a part that we play in changing, and there's a part that God plays in our changing and faith in the gospel has united us with the life of Christ, with his death, with his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. And when I say in the gospel, you know, I'm reminded that Paul uses the expression in Christ in similar, in similar ways. He talks about being in him, or in Christ, or in the Lord, or through Christ. 164 times throughout the New Testament, Paul Is is and and especially Paul is writing about this idea of you know you need to be in Christ. You need to identify yourself in this gospel in His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection. You're in that. You're in Christ, and that's why you're being transformed. Let me let me use an illustration here. Um, put up this first slide. So how what is the impact of the gospel let's just pick a a a little illustration here so think about your family maybe your family you know you want to go to Orlando you know maybe you think hey let's go down and do Disney together you know and so I did a quick little you know check on my app and it's from wherever I was it was a thousand thirty four miles it wasn't Quite what the Mark told us about the, the wise men, but it was pretty close to that, you know. And they, they walked. You know, he was talking about them walking, you know, to Jerusalem. Well, this is if you want to go to uh, Disney from here and you want to walk it as a family, that's a uh, you know that's thousand thirty four miles. And so here we go. We're going to start off as a little trip. Problem with that is you know as you go. Next slide. Um, if you walk thirty miles a day, it'd take you thirty four days. And you'd probably be too tired to do Disney, by the way. You know, you're probably like, I don't think that was worth it, hon. We should have just spent a little bit of money or something, you know. So if you're if you're, you know, I'm comparing what is doing something in your own strength versus doing, you know, in someone else's strength, so to speak. So let's look at like okay, you so say, well, we don't have to walk because we've got bicycles, you know. So we're gonna bike, we're gonna bike from Baltimore to Orlando problem with that is this next slide, you know, is that if you bike 80 miles a day, which if you got the kids with you, it's going to, that's a lot of miles every day. It's going to take you 13 days, you know, and there's probably going to be some mishaps along the way. But rather than doing it in your own strength, if you decided to be in a plane, in a plane, and you fly from Baltimore to Orlando, and notice they, they do have their masks on, so they're, they're good to go, you know. Uh, If you did that, you'd have this. They'd happily arrive in Orlando in 2.5 hours. That's because they were in the plane. They weren't in their own strength. They weren't doing it in their own ability. They were doing it in the plane. So you think about that, you know. 34 days walking, 13 days riding. Two and a half hours if you were in the plane. Now, in the Christian life, you may think that there's a lot of things that God calls you to do, and you think you can do those in your own strength. And maybe, to some degree, you can. Maybe, to some degree, you know, you're able to do those things. Uh, but they're going to take you a lot. It's going to be a lot harder to break habits, to see change in your life. So maybe you're laboring away, and you've been laboring for a long, long time, and you think, "Yeah, but I'm making some progress." So I'm, you know, I keep rallying around this, you know, this goal, this New Year's resolution. I'm going to keep going. But if you and I would learn how do I do this in the life of Jesus Christ how, how do I believe that I've died to sin and my sin and I was buried with Christ and I was raised from the dead and there's a power for me to say no to sin and yes to God how do I, how do I do that and the reality is you and I may be able to do some things in our own strength and it may take us 34 days or 13 days to get it done versus we could have walked in a power that wasn't our own. We could have been in the plane or in Christ in this example and done it much easier, two and a half hours. But what if we talked about other things you need to do? That, like how long would it take for you to walk to, say, Sydney, Australia? <laughs> or ride a bike to Sydney, Australia? can't do it can you and the reality is if you're not in a plane or in a boat you're not going to get there and there's things in our lives you can try and try and try in your own strength and you don't see any you don't get there do you because we we haven't really taken advantage of the of the of the inheritance that we have in the gospel of being in Christ And being in him, which enables us to have a a power to say no and put to death sin and to say yes to God. And ultimately salvation is, is not gonna be accomplished by us. Salvation will only become ours if we're in Christ. There's so much power available in the person who's in the plane. And in the plane, we accomplish difficult and sometimes un- impossible things that we could not do ourselves. But in the same way, in the gospel and now in Christ, we've received a forgiveness. We've received something impossible to do in terms of our own salvation and the power to live that glorifies Him. And so I want to talk from our text here about two ways that we've been united. Through the gospel, I want to talk about a legal union, and I want to talk about a living union. So let's talk about the legal union first. What Christ has done for us—we've mentioned this already—results in our justification. This is relates to our, our standing with God, our legal standing with God. You know that God looks at you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as you're, you are—you are righteous. You have a righteousness that I see. It's Jesus' righteousness, and that's how I see you. That's how I can can declare you righteous. And that's what justification says. It's declared righteous. Jesus representing us in his sinless life and life and sin-bearing death. The change in a person's condition moving from a state of sin to a state of righteousness. And we have Romans 5, 18 and 19, that says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that means because of Adam's sin, we were all guilty with him. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That's Jesus' death on the cross led to life for us. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, dying on the cross, the many will be made righteous by faith in him, faith in his gospel. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. And then we also have a living union with Christ. And this talks about what Christ has done in us that results in our sanctification. This is what we're talking about, how do we change now in this life? Okay, We may be a Christian, we may be headed for heaven, but how is it that we benefit from the gospel in this life? Well, it's this living union we have with him. Sanctification is predicated or based on the legal union. You got to be you got to have be a Christian first for this to happen. So you start with that. If you've put your hope in Jesus Christ, you've been transformed. You have a new heart, you have a holy spirit living inside of you, you have a new destiny, you have a new identity. You are you are secure. But we start there to see how do we now tr- are we being transformed in this life? Based on this legal union, Christ working in us through the Holy Spirit to progressively transform us into his likeness. Life, after you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, is a process to become more and more in this life like Jesus. Romans chapter 6 verses 4 and 8 said this, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And this is talking about this sanctification process. Look, if you're in Christ, if you believed in Christ, the same way that Jesus died, you, you died with him to sin. The same way he was raised from the dead... You too were raised to a new life, to not live the way you used to. Verse, eight, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is not just for a few people. This is not for just like the super spiritual. This is, this is your inheritance. This is your treasure. Not bags for the homeless person, you know, this is your inheritance you've been given. A resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Do we know that? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. You and I used to be slaves. We were slaves to our sin. We were slaves to our sin nature. And yet the Bible says that's not the case if you believe in Christ. You have died with Christ to that sin nature. You have been set free. I like this quote from Jerry Bridges. He said this. To say to a slave, "Act like a free man," is to mock him. But to say to the to, the, to the, the same to a slave that has been delivered is simply to encourage him to act out what is now real in his life. If you remain, you and I remain slaves, and to tell that slave to, "Hey, act like you're free," that's just mocking him. But if that person has really been set free, and you're encouraging, "Hey, you're free." You don't have to, you're not even obligated to, you know, to serve that old master anymore. That's an encouragement. Romans 6, 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You see, this benefits us not just if we hear it this benefits us if we receive it and we stand in it. If we believe it, there's a power there. Just to have it means it's in the bank and I'm still out on the streets. I'm still foraging around to get by. But this has been given to you. This has been given to all of us. Worship team, wants you not you come on up. So, as you're thinking about 2022, some of you like to think about, you know, okay, you know, what area of my life or what what things in my life do I would like to see God help me in, grow me in, change me in. I, I want to encourage you that you, you're not you're not a slave anymore. You've been set free. And I want to look, at, you know, this idea of dying to sin. Let's look at that for a second. So. You have a living union. Could I have the next slide? In this living union, you know, are you still guilty? You know, have you died to that? You know, but the, the reality is, have you died to sin's guilt? Yes, you've died to sin's guilt. The guilt of our sin was laid on Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't have to feel the guilt of that anymore because it really has been paid. Have you died to sin's presence? You know, is, sin, is the, the presence of sin gone? No, that won't happen till heaven, you know. Experience tells us that indwelling sin still remains. And so when I say you've died to sin, does it mean that you're not going to feel like doing sinful things or thinking th- sinful things? No, that's not what that means because we know that, that sin still remains. How about sin's power? Are we still, uh, have we died to that? No, we've still experienced um, temptation. So dying to sin doesn't mean it's not there anymore, and it doesn't mean you're not tempted. It doesn't mean that. Jesus was tempted. But sin's dominion, sin's dominion, sin's power over you. Have you died there? Yes. By the Holy Spirit, we have the power because we're united with Christ. We don't have to sin anymore. There might be a tug there to sin. There might be the presence of sin. But you and I, because we've been set free, we're not obligated to sin any longer. And sanctification says, I'm going to walk with God through this. I'm going to learn to believe God for power and to say no. And not be obligated to to live like I did before, knowing Christ. You see, the big idea is the gospel it's the most important truth for you that you need to know to believe and apply. And this is, a, this is going to be a lifetime adventure for us. But let me just say, this was first priority for, for the Apostle Paul. He's a pretty godly guy. The Lord chose to leave a lot of his writings for us, a lot of his letters, so that we would Know how to live out this life, and if he, you know, tells his people hundred plus times to live in the good of this gospel, to live in Christ. That's what I want to spend as my life, you know, message to goal to have to think about. Last picture. Well, last picture. So I don't want you to forget this woman. <laughs> Because for some of you, you know, who are listening or or watching on on streaming here, you know about Jesus Christ. You know that he came as a Savior. You know that he came to, to offer himself for you. You've heard those things. And you've not responded to that. You've not put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've not put your hope and trust in him. And it does you no good. How can, how can you have eternal life in your own strength? You won't. You'll need to believe. Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh, lived a perfectly sinless life to be your substitute, died on the cross to pay for your sins, was buried and raised. Is that your hope? Is he your savior? Are you standing in that? If not, you're no better than this situation here. You have available to you an inheritance and you won't take it. You won't benefit by it either. And so my plea to you is put your hope and trust in him. Let him be your God, let him be your savior. Be born again through this message. Put your trust in him. If you have questions, let us know. You can come and talk to us. You can text us. You can call us. We want to help. Maybe you know Christians. Talk to them. Maybe you want to take this Alpha Course. I think the Alpha Course is a great place for you to come with your questions, your concerns. You won't be judged. You're going to feel like it's a very accepting kind of a context, a safe place for you to ask questions. You'll find that. So let me encourage you to do that. Um, we currently said that the Alpha Course was going to start on Thursday, the 27th of January, but because of the dynamics of of COVID right now, we're we're evaluating moving that back just a little bit so that people feel a little bit more comfortable coming. And so pay attention because we're going to give you a lot of information about that. But just Don't wait till that. If you you see and you know that Jesus is the Savior, please put your hope and trust in him, I pray. And then to those of us who are Christians, this lady has something to talk to us about too. Because we don't have to live our lives in our own strength, in our own resources. We don't have to live like that. Because of the gospel, you've been united with Christ. And you have available to you power to say no and, to, and the, the dominance and power of sin is, 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 doesn't own you. You're not enslaved to that. You can live like a free man or woman. And there is dudamas, There's power in the gospel. There's power in the resurrection to give you the ability to say no and to, to live a life that honors Jesus Christ. And so let me encourage you as a first priority for this year. <laughs> bring that gospel To mind, believe it, stand in it, and live in the good of it and the power of it and bring glory to him.